This podcast is a proud member of the Paranormality Podcast Network. And welcome to Stories of Strangeness, episode 29. I'm Zoe, and this is Mike. Hello there. And this is Evie. Hi. Evie's sitting in with us today, so uh, if you hear any weird noises, it's her. So anyway, (laughs) this week is a Mike episode. So what do you have for us, darling? Well, first of all, I'd like to play something for you. Did that sound familiar? Not really, no. Have you been practising on the keyboard again? Mm, Should have done. I've got a terrible memory for... Tunes. Random bits of music that I've never heard before. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So. Hold on. It's not baseball, is it? No. (laughs) What? Why would it be baseball? It sounds like the... Like that, that. It doesn't sound anything like that. Okay, right, anyway. The room is quiet until the familiar hiss of dead air permeates it as the radio is switched on. You sit down on the bed in the simple but functional room. Perhaps today you'll be leaving. Perhaps you'll stay for a while longer. It all depends on the message. You have your pad and pencil ready to note down the message and sit poised, straining to listen. You have to have the volume low, of course, and sometimes it's difficult to make out against the hiss of the static and the thrum of traffic and life outside the window. Right on time, the radio suddenly springs to life. It starts with a familiar jaunty tune before the voice, which sounds like a young woman, reads the message. You wonder who it was that voiced the messages originally. Was it someone in your organisation, or was it an outsider, a voice artist brought in? Were they perplexed at what they had to read? Was their curiosity abated by the considerable paycheck? You stop wondering as the voice cuts through the white noise. Clear enough this time. This is a message for... It begins. Your number is among those called... New instructions will follow. You pick up your pencil as the voice of the young woman dispassionately reads four, four, seven, three, eight, zero, nine, nine, eight, zero, four, five, seven, and so on until the message is complete and the voice moves on to instructions for others that don't concern you. You glance at your pad and cross-reference the numbers with your one-time pad. You need to be in Helsinki by the 15th of June. The arrangements have been made and there will be more information at the dead drop, a new identity and papers to go along with them. You begin to pack your case. You'll tell the landlady that despite having paid up to the end of the month, work are posting you overseas with immediate effect. You tell her that you don't require a refund for the unused time, but will need a receipt. 
you thank her for the kind hospitality and leave. For decades, people have noticed odd stations coming through on their radios that seem to consist of a voice reading what appear to be random numbers or sometimes Morse code beeps, computer noise or other inexplicable messages. Number stations sometimes interrupt normal programming, butting into listeners' enjoyment with seemingly nonsensical messages that are anything but entertaining, at least for most. Like anything, there are a handful of fans of these shortwave oddities who track and follow them, marking out their patterns, delineating their frequencies. The Conet Project is one such group, and Priom.org is another, and there are those devotees with theories about their nature, who they are for, what information they impart, who runs them, and why. The first known use of number stations was in World War I, which broadcast numbers in Morse code. Most number stations follow a set pattern in terms of when they transmit, but also in the way that the transmissions are put together. Most will start with an innocuous tune or jingle as a header, which is to inform the recipients that the message proper will follow shortly after. Many end with message ends in their own language, or have an outro tune. Many stations have been given intriguing names, such as the Lincolnshire Poacher, possibly the best known numbers station, which derives its name from the folk tune delivered in its header, which I played earlier. The Lincolnshire Poacher was featured on the Amazon Prime paranormal-themed TV series Truth Seekers, starring one of our favourite English actors, Nick Frost. The Swedish Rhapsody is another station named for the tune in its header that is played on a music box, but that tune actually turned out to be the Luxembourg Polka. The Buzzer, or UVB-76, is a Russian station that transmits two buzzes on the hour, 24 hours a day since 1982, on frequency 4625 kHz, and is still broadcasting. The buzzes followed by a series of fuzzy tones, and occasionally a male voice reads numbers in Russian, or random names and words. Sometimes Morse code can be heard too. It stopped in June 2010 for one day, and another interruption happened in August when Swan Lake by Tchaikovsky was played. In September, it apparently renamed itself as MDZHB, after a male voice declared, Mikhail, Dmitri, Zhenya, Boris. One theory of this station is that it is a dead hand signal. If Russia were ever hit by nuclear weapons, the signal would stop due to the electromagnetic pulses from the bombs. This would automatically set off systems to launch a counter-strike. Another theory is that it is simply broadcasting to reserve the frequency, and yet another states that it is using the signal to measure the distance to the layer of charged particles which undulate like waves, and is generally higher during the daytime and lower at night that the shortwave radio signals can bounce off. The longer the signal takes to hit this layer and return, the higher it is. This layer can also be used by radar systems to spot incoming missiles, so the station may be used to fine-tune the radar equipment, although this is disputed, as the signal would have to sound like a car alarm as a result of varying the waves in order to analyse the charged layer. The buzzer does not sound anything like that. In 2013, the station broke with its tradition and broadcast the message, Command 135 issued which was thought to be a test for combat readiness. Other stations include The Gong Station, Nancy Adam Susan, Five Dashes, Bulgarian Betty, Alo Alo, Squeaky Wheel, and Cherry Ripe. 
Researchers have given them all codes to identify them, such as E03 for the Lincolnshire Poacher, V2 for a Cuban station that can be heard in the US, S06 for a Russian station, and M94 for a South Korean station. But who are they for? Who is running them, and why? Theories range, as with many mysteries, from the sublime to the ridiculous. One theory pastes them as elaborate hoaxes or pranks, although the fact that they are presented in different languages, transmitting from different parts of the world on multiple frequencies, seems to suggest otherwise. Besides, what's the point of a prank like this? Who's the victim of the prank and what do the prank's engineers get out of it? Other theories include keeping in touch with submarines or communicating with aliens. The prevailing theory behind number stations, however, is that they're used to send messages to intelligence operatives in the field by various countries and their associated agencies, such as GCHQ in the UK, the CIA, Mossad, KGB, etc. But why use radio? It's an old technology now, and even at the height of the Cold War when number stations were understandably at their most prevalent, radio was kind of old-fashioned, having been invented at the turn of the century. Worse, the signals can be picked up by anyone with a radio set, including members of the public, risking exposing the messages. There are a few advantages to using radio to send messages. 1. It's cheap to set up, and even cheaper to receive. Transmitting stations can be created with only a comparatively small outlay, and the receiving agent only needs a radio, an item that can be bought worldwide for very little. In fact, it's so cheap that the agent could leave the radio behind or dispose of it when moving along to a new destination and buy a new one when they get there. 2. It can send messages over vast distances without interruption. Shortwave radio signals can bounce off charged particles in the upper atmosphere, enabling the signal to travel for thousands of miles, making it ideal for communicating with operatives in different countries. In fact, the BBC World Service uses this exact technology. It's also very difficult to block or stop the signal. 3. Although the messages can be intercepted by those outside the parent organisation, the content of the messages is encrypted in such a way as to make it virtually impossible for anyone without the cipher key to decode them, and they are essentially impervious to brute force attacks as well as logical decryption. In fact, the only way to break the code would be to get an operative to tell you their contents, or else get their decryption key by social engineering, torture, or some other form of subversion. This makes them much more secure than email, text, or other electronic communications. They are not perfect, however. During World War II, British agents discovered that the Russians were using out-of-date one-time pads as substitute toilet paper in Russian army hospitals in East Germany, leading to the unenviable job some British agents had of combing through the contents of the latrines in their efforts to intercept communiques. In addition, the messages are extremely difficult to track. Even if you know where the signal is being transmitted from, you would have no idea of the whereabouts of the recipient. There are a number of ways the cipher could work. One posited system could be a book cipher. This has both parties, the sender and the receiver, having the same print edition of a particular book, which is agreed in advance. The numbers then refer to a page, paragraph and word, respectively. Messages can be constructed by selecting words from the text to form the message and noting down those details. For example, 
If you had the revised and expanded edition of The Design of Everyday Things by Don Norman, and I said 111, 3, 2, 127, 2, 10, 286, 4, 30, you could decode this message as knowledge is powerful. Another more probable method is of that of using a one-time pad. This cipher utilises a one-use key that would often be printed on paper or even rice paper. After use, the paper could be burned or even eaten by the operative, ensuring that the secrecy was kept safe. One-time pads work by pairing a plain text with a random secret key and are completely uncrackable. Each character is encrypted by combining it with modular addition to the corresponding bit or character from the one-time pad. Here's a simplified example. Let's say we just number the letters of the alphabet with A equals 1 through to Z equals 26. An extremely simple and therefore potentially unsafe one-time pad might say add 42 to each character. So now A equals 43 through to Z equals 68. So if I sent the numbers 68, 57, 47, 51, 61, 43, 44, 63, 62, 62, you'd get the message, Zoe is a butt. <laughs> I knew it was Zoe! Oh, I am a butt. Well, yeah, 68 is Z, isn't it? So. Obviously, real one-time pads would use different encryption for each character, rather than just 42 for everything, but you get the idea. Even with this level of uncrackable encryption, things can still go wrong. In 1989, a Czech spy was arrested in the UK because his equipment was faulty and it radiated into other people's flats. He was caught with a shortwave radio and one-time pads hidden in bars of soap. Apparently when the Ceausescu regime collapsed, the broadcast of number stations in Romania stopped, giving away their origin. From 1945 to 56, the CIA and British intelligence dispatched agents to support anti-Soviet guerrilla fighters in the Baltic states. Some were captured, along with their radio transmitters and codebooks. The KGB then used these books and forced the captured agents to send messages back to HQ to send more agents, which were in turn captured. In 2010, 10 Russian agents were arrested in the US and were shown to be using shortwave radio number stations. Another well-known case is that of the Cuban Five, which happened in 2001. Five Cuban spies were caught and shortwave radio broadcasts were used in the case against them. The numbers message was sent to the spies via radio as normal, but then they put the numbers into a laptop and the decode key, which was on a floppy disk, was inserted. In straying from the typical and easy-to-destroy method of pencil and paper, they sealed their fate. The Cuban government denied they were spies for three years before eventually admitting their culpability. They were sent to the US to observe and infiltrate Cuban-American groups, Alpha 66, the F4 Commandos, the Cuban-American National Foundation and Brothers to the Rescue. The spies were part of La Red Avispa, the WASP network. In Cuba, the five members, Gerardo Hernandez, Antonio Guerrero, Ramon Labinino, Fernando Gonzalez and René Gonzalez, are viewed as national heroes and are portrayed as having sacrificed their freedom in the defence of their country. Great Britain's Foreign Intelligence Agency, MI6, 
has publicly admitted to still using number stations. Even the Lincolnshire poacher was tracked as originating at a British RAF base in Akrotiri, Cyprus, allegedly run by MI6. It hasn't broadcast since 2008, but others like the buzzer are still on the air and can be heard simply by tuning your dial to the correct frequency. Hey guys, this is Eric and Jessica Carrier, the hosts of the Prairieland Paranormal Podcast. If you're looking for a show that explores all things paranormal, with dramatic storytelling, historical research, relevant science, and witness accounts, check out our show online at www.prairielandparanormalpodcast.com or through your favorite podcast player. What do you think? So the little tune you played me had been used on Truth Seekers. Yep, that was the Lincolnshire Poacher, which yeah. is the name of the tune and hence the, the, the station. The station. Yeah, I, I don't remember that because, like I said, I've got a terrible memory for little yep. tunes. I was more interested in all the other random stuff that was going on. Yeah. Yeah, num stations are just weird. Yeah. So weird. Well, some of them are really weird because some of them sound like the old... 56k modems starting up so they'll they'll do weird trills and electronic yeah. beeps and squeals others have that. people reading numbers yep. some have morse code some have other kind of weird one phase just, key it, things you say two buzzes yeah two buzzes on the hour that's followed by other kind of weird Random tones stuff. and but then 24 it's had hours a day. yeah 24 hours a day since 1982 that's insane yeah with only one day missing and a couple of other instances Random where it's weird tweaks. stuff happened. But but that's from Russia, that one, the buzzer. Yeah, I, I, just, um, I just don't... I, I mean, they're obviously they're using it for something, but sometimes I do think, you know, if you're going to prank, that's a that's dedication. Well, it's prank, not only it's that, it's, it's, it's being done by a lot of different people around the world yeah. in different places, in different languages and stuff like that. There's a Korean station that actually starts by playing K-pop, like various K-pop tracks before the numbers start and things like that. There was, there's other stations that just play really odd stuff that nobody can figure out. But there are there are whole websites and organisations yeah. to, to, to track them and figure out what they're for and that kind of thing. Because like some of them, obviously, you know, have. People have admitted that they're theirs yeah. and they use them to communicate, etc. Yeah. But what if some of them are like, what What if aliens have been trying to talk to us for years and we're just too stupid to realise? Could be. I like, mean, most of the ones that we know attract originate on Earth. So Yeah, so? But yeah, I guess it could be aliens living on Earth trying to communicate different things with different people. Well, but, I mean, yeah. they could have just, you know, dropped it in that silver ball you were talking about. What silver ball? Yeah, from before. All oh, right. The okay. silver ball in the that the family had. Oh, the bet sphere. Yeah, that's the one. Okay, out of all the conspiracy theories I've heard, that that the, the bet sphere being a number station is is certainly out there. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying it it is a number station. <laughs> Maybe it delivered something, something. while it was passing right. through. Okay. You know. Yeah. I don't, I just they're just so weird. That I just it's almost like I don't have an opinion on them because they're just yeah. I mean, there are, there are web applications that you can get that you can download. There's, I think it's called WebSD or something like that, that you can listen to them. 
and it'll yeah. tell you when the schedules are, when one's likely to appear, what frequency, and it'll tune you in automatically. I feel and that it'd be kind, of, kind of dangerous for me, though, because I'll be like, no, I'm going to listen to it until i figured it out. Like, no, people have been trying to figure this out for years. For years. And if it changes every time as well... yeah. And we, we know we know that definitely some of them have been used by spy agencies yeah. and intelligence agencies to communicate orders to their operatives. There are some number stations that even say this is a message for and, and then either gives a name or a list of names yeah. or code numbers as well. So it might be this is for operatives 45296433007, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. But it's something you don't generally see James Bond doing, is it? You, know, no, you never see him whip out a radio and sit and listen to a, a number station. He's down. Yep. But, Eagle flies at night yeah. and stop drinking martini. Yes. Oh, what? Yeah. Yeah, it what? could be. From what I remember reading, Ian Fleming, who wrote James Bond, yep. was a very good friend of Christopher Lee's. Christopher Lee, when filming Lord of the Rings... Was I think he was supposed to stab somebody in the back or get stabbed in the back or something like that. There was a scene where somebody got stabbed in the back, basically. Yeah. And Peter Jackson went over to him and said, oh, I'm not quite sure that's the noise somebody would make if they were stabbed in the back because Christopher Lee made some kind of noise. And, and Christopher Lee said, I know very well what noise people make when they're stabbed in the back. Because <laughs> apparently Christopher Lee was very possibly not only an intelligence operative, but the inspiration for James Bond. Wow. At one point, he was, I think, engaged to a princess, and I can't remember of which country. I, I, I want to say some Scandinavian country, but I can't remember exactly. Maybe Eastern Europe somewhere. But apparently he was engaged to a princess. What was possibly I? the inspiration for James Bond. Definitely did some covert stuff during World War Two, and released a metal album Yes. Uh, of songs that were inspired by some medieval king, and I can't remember the name of it, but it's, it's, it'll come to me. Yeah, so Christopher Reedy. Lee, amazing Reedy. actor, but also <laughs> got up to some stuff. Yeah. But and yeah. Just be able to turn around and go, that is exactly the sound that someone makes, and you're like, yeah, oh, when I, don't that, know I know full that. well, you know, kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So what do you think about that, Evie? So there are stations where the person's just like, 7, 42, 3... I guess that's actually kind of creepy and weird. Yeah, yeah, it I is mean, a bit. I mean, they're just like staring into space and well, you don't know what they're doing. Random numbers. Ah, but well, that's what it sounds are not like. Random. Well, actually, they are because in order to encrypt something, it has to be a random number. Now, an interesting thing I heard, I read about, was it's actually very difficult for human beings to make up random numbers it is. because we tend to fall into patterns. Yes. And, of course, World War Two was before a lot of kind of computing was done. I mean, the only real computers that were used in World War Two were used uh, to decode the Enigma, the Enigma transmissions yeah. and things like that. But it was very difficult to – there wasn't kind of – you couldn't just get a random number generator. Like, I could yeah. go onto a website now and get a random number generator, no problem. Yeah. So what they did was they hung a microphone outside of their offices on Oxford Street – and recorded the sounds on Oxford Street. Now, there might be something that happened, like a bus might beep as a policeman shouted yeah. or something like that, but that sound was unique and will never happen again exactly in that way. Right. So they used that, those random sounds, to generate random number sequences. Now, I'm not exactly how, sh how they did it. It didn't go into a lot of detail, but I'm guessing they kind of 
converted the peaks and troughs of the waveforms into random numbers and then used those to encrypt a one-time pad for people to then use to encrypt their messages. Yeah, but that's incredible ingenuity just to think up something like that. Yeah, I love a good code, a good cipher. Yeah. I love, you know, trying to figure it all out, but that's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I did get gifted the GCHQ code puzzle book. Yes, you did. And it's very good. And I'm very appreciative because it was a good gift. And it was given to me by our newest Patreon subscriber, <gasps> which we'll get to later. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. It wasn't gifted to us because she's a Patreon subscriber. It's because she's family. But there we go. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's interesting to have a flick through and look at the codes and see how kind of ciphers work and that kind of thing encryption and ciphers has always kind of fascinated me since i was a little boy and i had giles brandreth big book of spy Ooh, was yeah, it spies or spy craft or something like that i think it was called well we made our own little codes up didn't we evie we made our own mm. hieroglyphs oh wow we wrote each other coded messages messages with our hieroglyphs didn't we, we that's that always good ago. fun isn't it yeah yes you have to say yes when when you're you can't nod on a podcast evie nobody they can't can see, see your you. face or your head can they? because <laughs> it's a recording i'll do this this is where evie's face is look that's me tapping evie's face and yeah. you say yes yes <laughs> <laughs> you, no. you definitely do not have a face for radio yeah <laughs> Yes. That, is it, that no, they can't see you pulling that face, Evie. Yeah, nobody's going to see job. that. Fruit loop. Ah. <laughs> uh. He's woken up now. God, I sound like a little gremlin. But yes, I I mean, I would have thought in this day and age, yeah, we would have been able to pinpoint exactly where these things were coming from. You can you can kind of triangulate an area, but it's it's still difficult. I mean, like I say, they they figured out where the Lincolnshire poacher was coming from, which yeah. was in Cyprus, from an RAF base in Cyprus. And some of the others, they know pretty much where they're coming from. The The buzzer is from somewhere between Moscow and St. Petersburg, apparently. Yeah, but I'm guessing that's a fairly from. big area, isn't it? it yeah, and there's, there's a good chunk of area. I don't know. I just think if satellite what's-its and things flying about and Big Brother's always watching, yeah. they must know, or that no one wants to say... They know exactly where they're coming from because they want to keep it like under the hat from everybody else. But the thing is, where it's coming from isn't as big a mystery as where, where it's, it's going, going to. to. But and there's anybody... no way to tell exactly where that's it's going to because any... yeah, exactly. That's why they've used because this method. Because they're like, well, anyone. It's it's not for every anybody. It's just for everybody. And if you happen to be listening and figure it out, then that's lovely for you. Except you shouldn't be able to figure it out. Is the whole no, point? No, I mean you know? that obviously it's going out to someone. In theory, yeah, and so, they're and they're listening. But then, if they, they say, the "Oh, it was book. you," it was being it was being sent to you, then go, "Well, no, yeah. I just happened to accidentally happen knock to my radio and it, it yeah. tuned in." Exactly, because the, that's the other thing, isn't it? I mean, it's if you've got the the one time pads that I saw, often they're like tiny, small, kind of few centimeters each side. Yeah, and like I say, one of the guys that got caught got caught with them inside bars of soap. And that's how small they are. They can yeah. be hidden inside bars of soap, which you can crack open a bar of soap, stick it inside, and then reseal the soap, and that's nobody's it. any the wiser Perfect. kind of thing. And a radio, who's going to suspect somebody just because they've got a radio? You know, it's like that's you can pick up radios completely on, innocuous. Like you can pick up radio stations on your phone now as well, can't you? Yeah, well, you absolutely can, yeah. So, so yeah, literally anybody now. Anybody anywhere. Anywhere. Pretty much, yeah. 
but yeah, it was it's a, a, a kind of intriguing part of the whole covert intelligence mm. thing because again, James Bond is is probably a really bad example of what spying is like because most of the time he's in tuxedos in high floating casinos or you know off yeah. around the world and he he doesn't tend to stay very hidden a lot no. of the time you know he's, he's having chases subtle, on rooftops and things like that and crazy gadgets which you know are you really going to pull out some rocket launcher from your car when you're driving along a road in the alps because there could be somebody to see you Exactly. You know, it's it, that kind of stuff is not really what spying is about. Spying is about staying hidden. Most Stealth. spies would not look anything like any of the actors that have played James Bond. They would look more like me. Well, I'm yeah, a spy. absolutely. Honestly. Just somebody who who blends in. Somebody who doesn't really stick out very much. I think that's the biggest insult you've ever said to me. Well, I didn't mean you for that because <laughs> you do stick out. Let's be honest. I stick out all over the place. <laughs> Oh, Oh, says you. Damning testimony from your daughter there. But yeah, no, there was there's a a film called Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, which is based on a John le Carre novel. Who he writes a lot of, uh, which I have. I watched not that long ago, and that's really good and very much, I think, what real spying is like. There's quite a good cast of people in there. There's Gary Oldman, Toby Jones from the detectorists the, the, the smaller guy. shorter guy yeah from the detectorists yeah. he's in it there's quite a good kind of cast of english actors i'm trying to think of the name of the, the couple but there's mark strong and yeah that's a really good depiction of of kind of what's the the world of spying is really like and the sort of people that are involved are very kind of innocuous looking and don't tend to stand out but yeah number stations very odd so with your research, did you actually listen in to any number stations? I didn't, no. <gasps> but the bit that I played you of, of the Lincolnshire Poacher does carry on. So hang on. Hold on, let's listen. And that just sounds like an ice cream van tune to me. I feel like there's a, there's a small child sitting there going, do I have to keep doing this? <laughs> <laughs> on his keyboard. You get the idea. It kind of goes on a bit like that. Today at ten forty-seven, <laughs> the caller left no message. <laughs> it's, That's what I it's get. It's so weird, isn't it? Well, here's another one called Cherry Ripe, which apparently is another MI6 station running out of Australia. And Cherry Ripe, it's called Cherry Ripe because of its use of an English folk song of the same name. And this was on the air until December 2009. So it lasted another year after the Lincolnshire Poacher. Underground station. That's just uncomfortable. Yeah. So that's that's kind of what some of them might sound like. There are obviously other recordings and things like that. But yeah, so a lot of it is just very repetitive numbers going out and things like that. Should we start our own number station? We're just literally, it's just going to be 
us shouting random numbers for yeah. no reason at all. I think what we should do is we should take last week's lottery numbers and use those. Well, yeah, because I was thinking, like, number stations, it always reminds me of Lost. Yeah, of course, that's yeah. that's the whole kind of, the numbers are always, like, repeating through that, aren't Yeah, they? yeah. I can't remember if I actually finished watching that in the end. I think I've got, like, one episode away. From the end, yeah, and stopped. No, I finished. I finished watching Lost, and it was it was disappointing. Yeah, I think basically they they started they that, us. and they had a, a great idea, and then it kind of they took it fizzled too a bit far, in the middle. Didn't they? they just kept going and going. Yeah, and, and they never stopped. kind of just as you were thinking, oh, they might answer one of the kind of mysteries in it. They introduce another two or three, if and yeah. that was even if they answered anything. And the ending was very disappointing. I think I think they started it without an end in mind and Which just kind of decided to see where it would go. It's risky, and I think it didn't work. It didn't pay off at all, no. no. No, an interesting thing I was reading recently, actually, talking about failed endings, was about Game of Thrones. Though I was reading a thing that was some person who was in marketing yeah. said they have never seen a phenomenon like it whereby it was massive, and after the last season... The demand for Game of Thrones merchandise fell off a cliff. It did, yeah. And to the point where people, like sellers, were returning stuff, saying nobody is buying any of nobody this. Nobody wants it. They're nobody so wants angry. it. Yeah, it's, it's of, a complete of, of phenomenon. The books in the charity shops, you, if you go into yeah. any of the charity shops now, you can literally you can you find can buy the, all of the them, whole probably, set yeah. like over and over again. Apart from is, the last one, which isn't still isn't published. And it's it's and I don't even know if he'll ever bother to do it now. I reckon he'll, he'll never finish it because it'll just the thing is he's like even if he finishes it and even if his story is way better than the end of the series, people have just turned off now. Yeah, and like I say, the the, the, the it's literally known as a, a marketing phenomenon where yeah you know this stuff was selling like hotcakes and then absolutely just stop dead in the water and apparently there's there's going to be a spin-off series isn't there which is like they did talk set, about quite a few set before i think well he did the book didn't he yeah um the prequel i book. don't know if it's that or if it's a new thing just for tv but there was going to be a spin-off series yeah and apparently they're really struggling to get any interest from buyers anybody to say oh we're bringing out this new game of thrones spin-off series do you want a load of merch ready for when it launches? And people are like, mm, no. nah, we'll see. And they're like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll do you a great deal and blah, 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 and this is going to be really big and blah, blah. And people are just not taking them up on it because they're so reluctant after what happened with, with Game of Thrones. So, yeah, so something that was a huge phenomenon and then just literally disappeared. Yeah. Very odd. Yeah. How did we start talking about Game of Thrones? We got onto it because I was talking oh, about... Oh, about the disappointment of Lost. and lost being, Yeah, lost, Number Station's yeah. Lost, Lost, yeah. Game of Thrones. Yeah, I'm yeah, fine. We go. got there in the end. Yeah. See, I can't even follow a conversation, let alone code, yeah. oh, no. decoded messages. <laughs> Maybe you wouldn't be the best spy then, really. No. What with your bits sticking out all over the place and st- <laughs> you're standing out and inability to follow a conversation. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, if you're listening to this MI6, Zoe would not make a good spy. I don't think I would either. Double I'm, bluff. I'm, Double bluff. But I've got too many obvious tattoos that would mark me as... Because actually, talking of that, I know you're, you're kind of chuckling, but a friend of mine who was in the army was going to go to Northern Ireland at one point and be part of an undercover group in Northern Ireland. And because he had tattoos, they said no, because that can 
mark him out and yeah. it'd be make him easily identifiable. Exactly. So he wasn't allowed to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense. It's like yeah. you need to be able to completely blend in. blend in and change. And like you can cut your hair, you can colour your hair, you can wear a wig, you can shave. Yeah. You know, those things are changeable. But if you've got a tattoo, that's, that's you know. That's a done deal, yeah. I mean, Especially like me put, with tattoos on my hands. You could well, put tattoo, makeup, yeah. I guess, over them. But I mean, like yeah. people like us, that'd be a, quite an expensive. There was that What's makeup it? that the, the video they did with Zombie Boy, wasn't there? The yeah. guy who has tattoos oh, all over his face, now, where they completely covered him and he looked like he didn't have any tattoos, which is mad. incredible. But they sell this product and go, oh, yeah, you know, cover your tattoos, blah, blah, blah. What they don't show you is that that, that took. Hours. It took hours, and also it because takes it's an, not just it's an like to a, get off as well because yeah. it's completely waterproof and sweatproof. Uh, yeah, which it has to be, of course. Exactly. But the thing was, it wasn't just like they put this one cream on him and no. it all vanished. It was layers and layers, and then powder, and then finishing. I and... know how makeup works. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. It's all the the prep and the priming and the yeah color because it's color correcting as well. Because, yeah. You know. And it, and it did. He looked he looked incredible because it was it looked you weird. know to somebody that has tattoos all over his face and head and everywhere to suddenly look like he'd never had any done was was incredible. But yeah, they I don't quite, quite tell you the full, actually. full story. It's well, like you know, looking like a different person. Yeah, but you know, bully for him for doing it for, to see what it was like, and uh, it was certainly a, a good demonstration of what's possible. It's it was also marketed for people with facial birthmarks and right. coloured skin and that yeah. kind of thing. But it's it's much it's easier to show. I mean, if it can cover black facial tattoos and white skin, sure. then you know that it's going to be able to. It should be okay something, with something like a port skin. wine stain or yeah, yeah. And for those people who have got very obvious marks on their face that makes them uncomfortable, yeah, then you know, fair play. Yeah. How on earth did we start talking about this? Does it matter? <laughs> Do we have to track every conversation back to us? But just keep going. <laughs> Aw, Evie's wilted. She's like a little flower. She's like a deflated balloon. <laughs> She's like a dinghy that's had it that's got a hole in it. Oh no. It's gone. <laughs> a si- not a sinky dinghy. <laughs> Evie, what's your favourite TV programme? Captain Underpants. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Well, I don't know if you heard it because she was like talking into a cushion. Or underpants. Yeah. Okay, so, so thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. So weird. Weird, weird, weird story of number stations. Yep. What do we need to tell people? Like I mentioned, we have a new Patreon subscriber. So we have to say thank you, Penny. Welcome to the Patreon Club. We hope you're enjoying all the minisodes <gasps> and random outtakes and stuff. What, what did Daddy just say? Auntie Penny just joined. <laughs> Hi, Auntie Penny. <laughs> and thank you. Yeah. You're terrible. But we do appreciate Mom. it. Well, she is. <laughs> smelly. Mom, don't be so mean. Uh, I didn't say she smelled bad. I just said she was smelly. She smells of flowers. Yeah. You know, that really stinky flower. <laughs> Fine, but I'm allowed to say that. Anyway. Rude. Yeah, <laughs> rude. <laughs> okay, so if you have a story you would like to share with us. Or um, one you'd like us to cover. Oh, yes, either or. We're happy to read stuff that's sent in, or if you've got any ideas, you can contact us in a multitude of ways. Oh, 
you can so many ways. email us at storiesofstrangeness at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash stories of strangeness. We have a page and a group. The page is what I've just said, and there is a join group button right there. We've had a few people join recently. Hello, newbies. Hello, newbies. We're going to be starting some conversations on there soon, I think, because people seem a bit shy at the moment. Yes, shy people. Either that or just go for it, shout out, whatever you want to say. Like we need a competition. Yeah, I think we do. I think we'll come up with a competition for next episode, I think. Okay, that's a good idea. I'm not going to do one now because I haven't got a clue. (laughs) Okay, so, yes, we're going to have a competition next episode. Keep your ears open. Peeled. Peeled? That sounds gross. Peel your ears. Peel your ears. Don't peel your ears. (laughs) We take no responsibility for anybody peeling their ears. (laughs) Yeah, we trust that you're responsible adults-ish. You can also find us on Instagram. Instagram.com slash stories of strangeness. If you need any of that repeating. Just listen again. Yeah, you can just rewind. Literally the easiest way to do it. Just listen to it again. (laughs) Um, Sorry, that was rather loud. I do apologise. But we do have a website if you want to peruse whatever's on the website. I don't know. I don't go there. Storiesofstrangeness.com. I need to update it, actually, but that's fine. And we also have a Redbubble account, so you can get our random logo and illustrations that we do for each episode on random pieces of stuff for you and your home. Yeah. So, um, you could get a Stories of Strangers logo pillow. You could which get, you could cuddle at night. Yeah, you could get a Nikolai Tesla pair of socks. You could get a... No, no, it needs to be like a pair of trousers, so then you can laugh about the brown note. Okay, fine. Or you could get... What else have we done? We could get Black Shook shower curtain. I think there is one. There's a Black Shook skirt, which I think is really, really funny. Just yeah. because it's a big pair of red eyes. You could make you a huge fashion statement. Yeah, go um, for it. Anyway, yes, if you just search for Zoe and Mike, all one word, on Redbubble, you will find us there. And And don't forget about me. Oh, actually, you're saying that there are some of Evie's random drawings on our Redbubble account as well. (laughs) So, um, yeah, yeah, take a look. If you've got any requests for Evie's drawings, she will quite happily draw things for you. Yeah. Yep. Especially if it's something to do with Captain Underpants. Or cats. Or fairies. Or anything, really. Yeah. Or unicorns. Unicorns, yes. Pooping yeah. rainbows. Um, <laughs> and lastly is our Patreon account. Yeah. So we have two tiers available at the moment. The first is... A pound a month. And for a pound a month, you get our undying appreciation and a shout out on the episode. Yep. And the second tier is... Three pounds a month. So like the cost of a coffee. Yeah. And it will get you... So much more yep. than a coffee. You get minisodes. You get a slap round the face to wake you up. <laughs> I don't think we can deliver that one. No. Okay. So you don't get that. No. But you I do can... get minisodes. You get outtakes. And you do get, as and when we can, the time-lapse illustration videos of our drawings. So, yes. Feel free to search us out on Patreon. Mm-hmm. I'm sure the link's in the show notes. It is. Oh, my goodness. I got it right for once. Woo. <laughs> Do we have a fun fact this week? I don't know. Evie, can you tell us something interesting? Snakes don't have eyelids. Snakes don't have eyelids? Do they really not? Nope. What do they have then? Nothing. <laughs> okay. Um, 
We might have to fact check that one, <laughs> I was but say, all we, right. I'm gonna do. I, that. I have a horrible feeling she's right because she yeah, comes out with stuff like this, and she generally knows That's what she's talking about. That's actually true. Where That's did actually you hear true. It, sweet. Just, just Google do snakes smart. have eyelids. Do... You're smart. Fair enough. <laughs> I remembered it. Somebody told me that snakes don't have eyelids a while snakes ago. Snakes don't have what we think of as eyelids. Instead, they have something called brile attached to each eye. The brile is also known as ocular scale, eye cap, or spectacle something or other. Oh. So yeah, apparently snakes don't have eyelids. Thanks for that fun fact, Evie. Whoever thinks that snakes have eyelids are weird eyes. Okay, well, that brings us to a random and abrupt end to this episode. Yeah. And so that brings us to the end. Are you going to say goodbye nicely, Evie? Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Love you. Bum. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're a great (laughs) boomer.